Hello and welcome back to the third and final episode in our neonatal mini-series, Is Sunscreen Use Safe in Children Under the Age of Six Months? You've already heard from Dr. Irene Lara Corrales and Dr. Jeanette Jacobs on the pros and cons of sunscreen use in young infants. Before we begin, it's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA, and it is not suitable for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with qualified healthcare providers. And now I'll turn it over to Dr. Shook. Okay, so now... Tonight, we have Dr. Lara Corrales and Dr. Jacobs, who together we're going to discuss the pros and cons of sunscreen use in infants, as well as some significant research gaps and implications for clinical practice. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk to you uh, as a group about is what are the next steps? What do we need to know before we can make a better recommendation on sunscreen use in infants? Sorry. I think one of the things that we have failed to at least say out loud is that uh, UV radiation is the most important known um, modifiable risk factor for the development of skin cancer long-term. So this is something that we can control. So I think as physicians, we do know that we need to act and we need to make uh, recommendations about this because we also know that if you have a sunburn early in life, especially for um, little babies that have lighter skin tones, this predisposes them to cancer long-term. So we do want them protected from the sun. Um, and the other thing that I, I also uh, think we should um, mention is that the FDA does recognize that there are products that are safe to use. Uh, there's no information in the first six months of life, but at least some of those um, that have, they have been termed grace, the generally recognized as, as safe and effective are both titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. So those mineral sunscreens, like I feel comfortable uh, recommending to, to use those products. I use them, I use them on my kids. Uh, so I think we do need more information about other types of sunscreens, but I think right now, I don't know what you feel, but I, I'm comfortable giving that advice. Right, like a, a good first step would be working towards making a consensus recommendation for mineral sunscreen use in infants um, and exploring safety there. Um, do either of you feel comfortable discussing a little bit here for the listeners, the difference between chemical and physical sunscreens? Sure. I mean, as I think we all recognize, there are essentially two categories of sunscreen that are available over the counter. And those are uh, what we call physical blockers or inorganic uh, sunscreens. And then there's the organic or non-physical or chemical blockers. Um, so ingredients in um, our physical blockers are things like titanium oxide, zinc oxide, and more recently iron oxides being used. Um, those work by sitting on the skin surface and reflecting the light or the UV 
um, UV radiation and there, thereby avoiding um, UV exposure to the skin cells. Um, chemical sunscreens, things like avobenzone, oxybenzone, they work a little bit differently. So they do penetrate the skin a little bit more than um, zinc and titanium. And they essentially absorb the light and then scatter it so that you don't get the UV penetrating deeper into to the skin cells. Uh, and that's the basic difference between those two forms of sunscreen. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. I think uh, I, it's something I don't think really parents and consumers understand. Um, so I know a lot of times I hear that that people are like, oh, I don't want to mess with the sunscreens that are white to put on my babies because then you put the white sunscreen on and then it's all over the stroller, it's all over the car. So I think just understanding why we're recommending the physical sunscreens can be helpful because practically speaking, they are, they are the messier ones, but that there's certainly a reason for that because they're just sitting on top of the skin and, and blocking, um, blocking the sun. So thank you for that background, Dr. Jacobs. Um, Okay, so if we were to think about how to get safety data, how, what would be the next best step for getting safety data to better understand this issue? Because I agree with both of you that if we could just have a little bit of safety data, it would make our patients or our parents feel a lot better. Well, the classic way of obtaining safety data is to run clinical trials, right. which can be very costly and also very difficult to do in that age group. Um, a lot of people don't want to participate in uh, what are considered experimental research um, with, their, with their young infants. Um, I think that most of the safety data that we should be able to obtain uh, may come from, again, use of zinc oxide and other products um, that's already being done in infants. And I think there could be a good argument made um, for that. I think it, you should be able to translate that information to sunscreen use uh, if you really just break it down by ingredient. And also, um, as was mentioned, it's considered uh, a, safe, a safe ingredient. It's a grace ingredient. So FDA has already determined that um, that zinc oxide is safe ingredient to be used in over-the-counter products. Yeah, that, that makes me think of another good point. So we always say we need more data, we need more data. And in fact, I know I, I this, is com this comes up in everyday life. This came up when um, we were considering vaccinating my children. And I think that it's, it's pretty common to say we need more data, but then also when you think about not only the, the logistics and the cost, um, do we really need more data? Actually, we started this conversation with we need more data, but then when you, when you say it that way, it's like, gosh, is that really worth the cost and the effort? And even if we just said, okay, all of the babies that are having a zinc oxide diaper paste, we can just take blood levels to, to test how much zinc oxide is in the blood. But even that is, is, is interesting to think about because we think it's safe. And so we're then subtracting all of those babies to blood draws um, that in, in our heart we think might be unnecessary. I agree with you. I think that some of these things, like we have to kind of almost put in a balance the potential risks with the potential benefits. And in my balance, the risk of protecting from the sun is going to outweigh any potential risk. So it is, um, it would be very nice to have data 
in kids, especially because over the last few years, we have been seeing some uh, manuscripts being published that bring some of this um, kind of points that some of these chemical sunscreens are absorbed and that they might mess up with the endocrine system and things that we still don't have real kind of like we don't know if that is completely true but those were done in age groups that are not uh are small pediatric patients so um again like putting little babies through pokes and through uh all this research like uh do we really want to do that? I I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah. And actually, yeah, I, I heard, uh, oh, sorry. No, please go um, ahead. I heard what is likely a rumor that the FDA didn't test zinc and titanium-based sunscreens when they, when they funded that testing on the chemical sunscreens because the zinc and titanium are considered safe ingredients. So I think that also says a lot um, with regards to the use of those, those ingredients in kids. Um, I, again, I think the recommendation um, should maybe be limited to using mineral sunscreens or physical blockers um, until we have more information about chemical sunscreens. Um, we know that they penetrate. Um, there, there was that study that was funded by the FDA. And I think that scared a lot of people. Um, and we get, you know, also cause a lot of, you know, questioning and other, um, I guess, speculation about, um, you know, what is considered safe and what is not. Um, but that has not held true for mineral sunscreens, as far as we know. That definitely yeah, raised a lot of questions in my practice, like parents, yeah. like this made it not only to our medical journals, but also made it to uh, parent magazines and newspapers and news like it was all over so um, many of those opposing the use of sunscreen sunscreen were really grabbing to on disinformation to question sunscreens and to build more uh, controversy about the use of sunscreen and all the good that sun, sunscreen does um, and Yes, they proved that there was some absorption, but what does that mean? I don't think right. we know. Right. Yeah, and then that's a great question too. If we did clinical trials on sunscreen in infants to show safety, I, I, it's, I don't know if we can really show safety, um, to, to show probably be more of, oh, these are the levels in the blood, there's minimal absorption into the blood, but then, are we comfortable, and I, I am just to be clear, but are we comfortable if that's like a six month follow-up study? Do we need like a three year follow-up study to make sure there aren't any endocrine disruptors like Dr. Laura Corrales mentioned? I mean, it's kind of hard to know where to draw the line and we tend as a society to be a bit risk adverse. And so we kind of have to put into perspective of, yes, we could do studies forever on all of the ingredients and follow up for 10 years on each child. But really at some point you have to um, say, you know, maybe it's not worth all the time and effort. Uh, so that's a great, so, so then what do we do with all this? Like if we had, let's say that we had a big PEDRA grant right now and we were gonna design a study to investigate this, what would we do next? Well, one of, one of the questions I think needs to be answered before we do anything 
is what are the practices for sun protection or sun avoidance already existing in that age group or in that population? Um, and then extrapolate from there um, and then build, build a cause, right? Like I think right now um, we need to get more information on um, the number of you know sunburns, um, the type of sun exposure that's happening in that age group, and I know there's definitely like geographic differences, there's seasonal differences, um, but even to kind of capture that type of information, I think is a, an important starting point. And once we have that information, I think we can better cater our recommendations to um, how to properly avoid you know sunburns and other UV ex extreme UV exposure in that age group. Yeah, that's a great thought. What do you I think, think Dr. Lerakons? <laughs> What's that? I feel a little bit different regarding that just because I find it takes a long time to, to gather all this information. And um, by the time that we determine like all the practices and the number of sunburns and everything, we might be losing valuable time, especially for some of these babies growing up very fast. So I think it is important information to gather, but I think at the same time, we should be coming up with some guidance, especially I feel that right now, the mineral sunscreens are, are considered safe. So why not go ahead and make that as a guideline to what we think needs to be happening and try to have like a little bit of more uniform language through all the different recommendations that we have in AAP and AAD and like uh, our society, SPD, like everywhere, like to try to um, prioritize that we need to protect our babies from the sun. So I think if we had a $50,000 PEDRA grant, Dr. Jacobs would start with a behavioral study, uh, understanding what's going on currently. And Dr. Lara Corrales would start with a consensus meeting of the experts to, to make some new guidelines. So I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring. I like both of those decisions, but the other thing I was just thinking of while we were talking, I, I think one thing we could do would be to, we have obviously children in the hospital who are using zinc oxide paste already. We could potentially look at discarded blood samples to see how much of that's, if any, is detected in blood. I think that's a great idea. Um, um, and and would that be enough reassurance to jump to the next step of, okay, so we have 50, 100, 200 babies in the hospital using zinc oxide paste, minimal amounts detected in the blood. Would that be enough to jump to those consensus statements? I think that's fine, but the problem is, what if that's not what the research shows? And what if you find that there are elevated zinc levels? And then, um, you know, and then again, it's this, you're in the same place that we're at now with the chemical sunscreens is what does it mean? Right. Well, and so, the good news is that zinc is necessary in the body, right? So compared to some of the foreign, foreign molecules, chemical sunscreen, zinc is um, a essential, is it an essential mineral? It is, and, and, and especially for skin health, right? <laughs> we all right. know that. Um, right. So it's, and it is something that I think is difficult to measure. I think you need special um, assays to do that and special collection tubes. I'm not sure that discarded blood samples would necessarily work for that, but you know, there are workarounds for that. Um, yeah. But can I, I, can I ask you, sorry, like zinc 
both zinc uh, oxide and titanium dioxide are very big molecules. Like mm -hmm. my understanding is that they are not, like we're not able to absorb them through the skin or like I've never seen any research specific to that, but is yeah. that some, like, I think that would be a, a first question. No, I think that's a great question. I, I, I saw you were making kind of a face there. I was wondering what you're thinking. No, I, I think you're right. I don't know how, what studies have been done. It's just that we started the conversation with saying we don't really have the data. And so it would just be nice to say, okay, we looked at the blood and we didn't see any of th those molecules there. Um, because I don't know that that's been done specifically in the infant population, but it's probably doable. I don't know what kind of special assays would need to be done um, to tease that out from, I mean, you can't just run like a normal zinc study. That's obviously something different. So um, we definitely would have to tease that out, but you're right. We might, we might not even answer that question if we're not like looking at it right, or we might find that it's negative. And, and then it comes back to the same thing. Like, okay, even if there's some there, is that, is that dangerous? Probably not. I mean, if that was my infant and there was some zinc, oxide particles floating around that did get past that barrier, it's probably okay. And we don't really know safe amounts. So again, it's like you, this is how research kind of goes, right? You come up with ideas and then this happens to me all the time. And then you work through the idea and then you're like, oh, maybe it's not that good of an idea. So I could, I could go either way on that. I don't, it might be reassuring for some, it might be a waste of time for others. Agreed. And there, there is a lot of data out there actually regarding um, penetration of zinc into the skin. Um, right. Yeah. And, and to my knowledge, it does not go past the stratum So I, you know, Some of those but, then, but then you start asking about nanoparticles and then you can, you know, ask about neonatal skin, which is different than adult skin. And I do not think it's been tested in neonatal skin. So, you know, there's, there's again, many different questions that can stem just from that one. Um, but, you know, to, to Jen's point, um, we do a lot of things that are not approved. And my, to my point earlier, you know, I think if we want to make, if we want to make a statement that zinc oxide sunscreen is safe to use, um, there's no way that the FDA would allow that on a label without the studies being done. Right. But that doesn't stop us from recommending it um, based on our you know, expertise in pediatric skin. Yeah. So there, there can be a balance there. All right, Dr. Lara Curley's final thoughts on next steps and studies or consensus. I was just going to add that, um, as Janet mentioned, like some of this has been done in adults or older patients, but we probably have haven't tested in newborn skin and preterm skin that, as we mentioned uh, previously, like they this uh, is skin that is not fully mature, so we might find different things. Um, I think there's a lot, there are lots of things that we uh, could do regarding this topic. Um, I think our neonatal group is excited. Like I, although we try to make this a little bit of a pros and cons, like I think we all sit on the same boat and we are really pro sun protection. Um, and we really want to make sure that um, the education that our parents and our patients receive um, is based on uh, reliable information that helps protect them long-term. So I, I think that um, we have 
lots of things to think about and bring to our group for further research. Yeah, I agree. And I hope maybe we can get some industry energy um, involved in this as well, and maybe some industry funding um, to help this cause a little bit. So I'd like to end this discussion. One of the things um, that comes up a lot in clinic and how I practice, I always tell people this recommendation is what I would do if this was my child. Um, because I think that at the end of the day, especially being a pediatric dermatologist, a pediatric physician, um, that it colors everything I do, thinking about just the practicalities of everyday life, um, you know, the, the weighing the risks and benefits. So I think for me personally, again, my kids are a little older, they're 10 and seven, but if I had an, another little infant and, and for all the listeners, I'm in Florida. So sunscreen, or I'm sorry, sun is pretty much unavoidable because I can't not go to my older son's baseball games and, and things like that, or the swim meets. So if I had another little one right now, I would feel very comfortable with sun protective clothing as much as possible, big hats, and then putting a pretty generous amount of a zinc oxide containing sunscreen or even just plain old diaper paste on exposed areas. Um, I don't mind, I don't love, but I don't mind the white, white mess of the physical sunscreens. Do you both mind just commenting on what you recommend to patients or what you would do in your own personal life? I'm the same as you. I think um, it's very important to protect the skin at all in all ages across all age groups, and that includes young infants, um, especially since they're more vulnerable to UV exposure. Uh, I think it becomes actually even more important to protect their skin as best as we can. And um, you know, I do personally feel comfortable with zinc oxide. Again, I think it, a lot of that stems from our use of this ingredient in other products. Um, so I would recommend it to patients um, without any, without any, you know, doubt. And I, I think that the recommendations as they stand right now um, do allow for that. So it makes me also comfortable recommending it, um, at least in limited areas. And then if someone, I live in New York, so I don't have that issue <laughs> of ubiquitous sun exposure. But, um, but, you know, in the summer months, um, my recommendations are to protect, as you said, as much as you can physically, and then to add sunscreen to those areas that you can't protect. Great, Dr. Lara Corrales. I would echo many of the things you said. I, uh, I would be like, I have three kids and uh, the older ones that I have to chase around, like you have to use sunscreen and um, with the little, little one that I have more control, like uh, he has a big hat, he has sun protective clothing, he wears sunscreen, like um, that is what I advise for my patients as well. Like I am also um, okay recommending mineral sunscreens in small babies. And uh, as we mentioned before, I don't uh, say sparingly ever when I, uh, I'm mentioning sunscreen, I want them well protected and sparingly doesn't protect. So sick uh, shade, sun protective clothing, sunscreen, uh, those are all things that my patients are going to hear from me. Yeah, you bring up a good point. It reminds me, I actually sort of missed the infant days when I had control over the sunscreen going on the infant, even though it was a, a struggle because now that they're a little bit older, it's definitely chasing them down. They're trying to go to their swim meets and swim practices without their sunscreen. So 
Well, this right. has been and really informative. Oh, go ahead. No, but my kids, my older ones are 18 and 22. So I, yeah. I, you lose control. <laughs> yes. It just gets worse from here. I know. I know. That's why I'm trying to ingrain those good habits and we have to start in the infant period now, I think. Um, any other final thoughts? This has been a really great discussion. I think we all have, you know, similar opinions and, and um, of course it's a controversy because we don't have approval, but we definitely all think that sun protection is important. Any other final parting thoughts from either of you guys? I really appreciate your time and advice um, and insight today. I think it has been great. Like I, I enjoyed our conversation and lots of work to do. Definitely that is my biggest takeaway. I agree. I think there's a, a long road ahead, but I think it can be done. And it, you know, I am pretty confident that we all kind of sit on the same side of the fence. So I think, I think we can do it. Right. Yeah. I think it says something. Um, pediatric dermatology is a pretty small field, but when we have similar thoughts about a, a topic, I think that that definitely says something. All right, well, I thank you both for your time tonight and for um, investigating, thinking about this topic a little bit so that we can do a little bit better for our patients. So I appreciate that. And on behalf of the PEDRA Neonatal Working Group, thank you for all you do and let's keep up the good work. A very special thank you to Dr. Jennifer Shook, Dr. Jeanette Jacobs, and Dr. Irene Lara Corrales for participating in this program. Thank you to our sponsors for supporting this program. Abvi Inc., Eli Lilly and Company, Sanofi Genzyme, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Pedra is solely responsible for all program content and the selection of all presenters, authors, moderators, and faculty. Please subscribe to the Pedra Pearls podcast channel and be sure to leave us a comment. Let us know how we're doing. You can find more educational content in the Pedra app, available for Apple and Android users. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.